Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, Lord, and we thank you for this time, Lord, as we come to your word, as we worship you by hearing and responding to your word. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to hear and hearts to respond in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you. Bless us in this time, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27 are our verses today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. The church's mission is to reach the lost for Christ. That's our primary mission. Christ gave us that commission to make disciples of all people groups, baptizing them and teaching them all that he had taught his disciples. And so that's our mission. Now, as a church here at First Bastrop, we voice that mission in the, in the little phrase. We, we exist to love God, love one another, and love our world. Now, the gospel expansion part of that is that love our world. We want to love our world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is to take the gospel outside these walls, outside the church, into the world, here in Bastrop and Morehouse Parish and around the world, so that we can see Christ's kingdom expand. We want to add people to Christ's kingdom in this world. And so how does that look like? What, what does that look like? How do we take the gospel out of these walls and reach the lost world around us? We need a strategy. Well, in our text today, Paul gives us his strategy for kingdom expansion. And so I want us to, to look at that today, Paul's strategy for kingdom expansion. And from that, we can get our own little strategy for kingdom expansion. Now, in chapter 9, as we've been working through 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, Paul has established his right to earn a living from the gospel ministry. He says, I, I have a right to earn my living from the gospel ministry. That's what God's called me to do. And this church in Corinth, he, he brought the gospel and, and declared it to them. Some people have uh, become, they have gotten saved. By his preaching of the gospel, he says, I have a right then to, to receive some benefit from that. I have a right to earn my living from the gospel. Yet over and over again, he says, I have let go of that right. I haven't tried to cash in on that right. I've given up that right. And now in these final verses in this chapter, he tells us why he has given up those rights. In these two paragraphs, he and in these two paragraphs, he reveals his strategy for kingdom expansion. And this was kind of his, the way of doing things for Paul. So this is his strategy. And of course, we can understand that strategy and apply that same strategy as we try to reach the loss for Christ, as we try to expand God's kingdom in this world. So today I hope that we catch a vision for kingdom expansion. I hope we catch a vision for kingdom expansion, and I hope we apply this strategy to our own lives, to the life of the church, and to lives of ourselves individually, 
so that we can see God work in our community and expand his kingdom through us. So as we look at this, we're going to see a five-fold strategy for kingdom expansion, a five-fold strategy for kingdom expansion. This is five, five steps, if you will, that Paul used to expand the kingdom in his ministry. So if you found your place there in our text, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I became all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but you an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word, and may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So as we look at our text this morning, the first key strategy of Paul's, or the first key aspect of Paul's strategy for kingdom expansion is selfless service. Selfless service. Look again there at verse 19. For though I am free from all, Paul says, I'm free, I'm free in Christ, I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Now that word servant there. Uh, English kind of, you know, they dampen that down a little bit. Uh, it, it's literally slave. I became a slave to all, Paul says. Paul says, I became a servant. I became a slave to all. I'm free from all. I'm a free man. Right? I, I can go and I can do what, whatever God's called me to do. I'm free, but yet in my freedom, I have made myself a slave, a servant to others. Why have I made my servant, myself a servant to others? Is it just because I like to, to be under somebody else's foot, right? They're like, No, he says, I did it for the sake of the gospel so that I might win some to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, it, that's the way it is for us. If we want to reach people for Christ, the first step in reaching people to Christ is not just to go to them and say, all right, I got this message to tell you. No, it's to serve them. 
It's to be a slave to them. It's to look what, what need might you have. Can I be a servant to you? I mean, this is really one of the first steps in, in really having influence to people. We see this even in secular, secular leadership. Secular leaders, the, the oh, how-to-dos in secular leadership will tell you if you want to have influence among people, then you have to go and serve them. They're not interested in your, your self-service. They're not interested in, in, in making you something, right? Uh, if you serve them, then that gives them ears to hear. And that's what Paul is saying. If you want to reach people for Christ, then you've got to serve them. You've got to serve the people. You've got to be a selfless servant to the lost if you plan on reaching the lost. Otherwise, they're not going to be interested in what you have to say. If we just go to people because, hey, we want to make our church bigger, we want to bring more people in the doors, well, that's self-serving, isn't it? People's not interested in that. But if you show you love them by serving them and caring for them, oh, well, that changes things. Well, now maybe you have something worth saying. Maybe now they, you have something worth listening to. You're not just here to to get something from me, uh, well then, okay, I might listen to you then. Paul was a selfless servant. And this was the very model that Christ give us, gave us as well, isn't it? Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28, Jesus says to his disciples, uh, he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, your slave. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, dear Christian, when we go out and we go out to the world and we go to serve our world, we go to serve the lost, however God gives us to serve them, we are following in the steps of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For though he deserved worship, though he deserves our service, he stepped out of glory and he came to this world and he put on the garments of a servant. He put on human flesh. He walked among us. He lived among us. And he served us by going to Calvary's cross and dying for us. That's how God loved us. He served us by dying for us, for our sins, so that we might have life in him. Therefore, we should be willing to go out and serve the lost so that we might have a hearing so that we might be able to share the gospel message with them, the message of eternal life. If we want to share the gospel, if we want to see kingdom expansion, we have to give ourselves to selfless service. I remember the story of two Moravian missionaries. This was back in the 1700s. These Moravian missionaries, they heard that on St. Thomas, 
there was a, a great, a, a large plantation there. Had some, somewhat like, something like 2,000 to 3,000 slaves on this plantation. And the old atheist uh, landowner, the old atheist plantation owner, he wouldn't have anything to do with Christianity, nothing to do with Christianity. He didn't want his slaves to hear anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he would not allow missionaries to come in and take the gospel to his slaves. Well, there was two Moravian missionaries who were determined to take the gospel to the slaves on this plantation on St. Thomas. They were so determined that they were willing to sell themselves into slavery to go work for the man, the man as slaves themselves just so they could take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those two to 3,000 slaves who had no hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Gospel expansion calls for God's people to give themselves to selfless service. Second, gospel expansion calls for cultural accommodations. Gospel expansion, a strat this strategy for gospel expansion calls for cultural accommodations. Reading on there with Paul, picking up in verse, six, uh, excuse me, verse 20, Paul says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Paul gave himself to, to making cultural accommodations. In his ministry, he made cultural accommodations. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Those under the law, I became as one under the law. Now, now what does that mean, that he made himself as a Jew? He was a Jew. He was a Jew. He was raised as a Pharisee. So he, he knew the law. He was a Jew himself. So what does it mean that he became a Jew to Jews when he himself was a Jew? Well, that means he, he made cultural accommodations to, him, to, the, to the Jews. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, Paul, on his second missionary journey, he comes through, and uh, there is young Timothy. Now, young Timothy, he is half Jew, his mother was a Jew, and his father was a Gentile. And so young Timothy, since his father was a Gentile, young Timothy was uncircumcised. Now Paul, he picks up Timothy, and, and he's going to take Timothy on the road with him, and, and he's going to be a part of their missionary band, right? And, and he's going to go with them. But Paul, part of his strategy in his day was to first go to the Jews, to take the gospel to the Jews. That was the low-hanging fruit. They were expecting a Messiah. They knew the Scripture, so he would go to the synagogues first, and he would try to grab some of that low-hanging fruit, and he would take the gospel first to the Jews. Now, Timothy, being uncircumcised, would not be able to go into the synagogue. 
because he was uncircumcised. So what did Paul do? He says, well, Timothy, this is going to hurt a bit, but son, you're going to need to be circumcised. I'm going to get you circumcised, and then you can go on the road with me, and you can be a part of my ministry. He did that so that the Jews would not be offended by, by Timothy and immediately closed the door to him. Because right? they wouldn't even be allowed in the synagogue if Timothy was uncircumcised. And so Paul said, I'll make this cultural accommodation, Timothy, go get circumcised. Now, when it, now understand, this does not mean that he accommodated the message. He never compromised the message of the gospel itself. When you go to Galatians, and, and we went through Galatians not too long ago, and it, it, even already in, in 1, Corinth, and 1 Corinthians here, we've already kind of seen this a little bit as well. When people came through, when the Judaizers came through Galatia, and, and they said, oh yeah, Paul gave you the gospel of Jesus Christ, but what he didn't tell you is that it's Jesus plus circumcision. When they came through saying that, Paul said, uh-uh, no, wait, 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 hold on. Hold the boat. No, it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, period. Nothing else. Circumcision is nothing. And so if anyone tried to compromise the gospel and said it's the gospel plus the law, any aspect of the law, circumcision or anything else, Paul said, no, 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 uh-uh. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. Nothing else. And he stood up to Peter. He, he, he stood up to Peter to his face, right? Because Peter came in and he was having fun, eating pork with the Gentiles in Galatia until the Judaizers came into town. And then he was all, all holy and mighty, right? Oh, I'm not going to have anything to do with the Gentiles. And, and Paul opposed him to his face because you're being a hypocrite. You're being a hypocrite. By your actions, you're, you're saying that it's Jesus plus. And he opposed him to his face. But now, if it was a cultural accommodation, it wasn't compromising the gospel. And Paul says, I, if I do this, right, I, and I can hang out with the Jews, like if I, if, I, uh, if I keep up the Sabbath, right, if I observe the Sabbath and I rest on the Sabbath day, then I can go hang out with the Jews on the Sabbath and I can tell them about Jesus. Then guess what? I'll, go, I'll observe the Sabbath and I'll hang out with the Jews and I'll tell them about Jesus. Now, he never said observing the Sabbath was conditional upon salvation. No, he just, observed, he just joined them on the Sabbath, resting on the Sabbath, and hung out with them on the Sabbath so he could tell them about Jesus. You see, he made that cultural accommodation so that he had a voice among the Jews. He never compromised the message of the gospel, but he accommodated the culture. He blended into the culture. Furthermore, he didn't compromise the message in his cultural accommodations, but nor did he compromise his morality. He didn't compromise his morality either. That's what we get into when he says to the, uh, those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Right? That the Jews and the Gentiles. And here in Corinth, we know we have a, a, a heavy Gentile population. And we've already talked about some of the things that were kind of the cultural norm in Corinth. In Corinth, sexual immorality was a cultural norm. It was expected for men to be unfaithful, to sleep around. 
Now, Paul, he doesn't make a, a, a moral compromise to fit in with the Corinthians, does he? No, he says, no. We've already seen. Flee sexual immorality, Paul says. Flee it. Get away from it. You don't make that moral compromise. And so as in our strategy to reach the lost, we don't compromise the gospel, nor do we compromise our morality. When God says that you shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that. We're not going to do that. But when it's things like cultural aspects where, where it's, not, it's not a moral thing, it's not a, a, a gospel thing, but it's just a kind of a cultural thing, we can compromise there. We can, we can make cultural accommodations so that we can have a saying, so that we can enter into the front door and, and begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Lottie Moon... We all know Lottie Moon being in the Southern Baptist life. We know Lottie Moon. We take up the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year for international missionaries. Lottie Moon was a, a, one of the great Southern Baptist international missionaries. She went to China back in the 1700s. She went to China, and uh, she was a, a wonderful missionary, spent the rest of her life in China doing missions, calling people, expanding God's kingdom in China. Now, when Lottie Moon first made it to China, she resisted wearing Chinese clothing. I mean, she held on to her Western clothes. She thought it was silly for Westerners to come into China and dress up like Chinese. So she was determined not to wear Chinese clothing. She wanted to continue just wearing her own cultural kind of attire and just go on with it. Here's the gospel. Accept me like I am. Here's the gospel, uh, and let's get on with it, right? That was all good and great until the first winter there. When the first winter came along, she put on every piece of, of Western attire that she had in her closet, and she still couldn't stay warm in that bitter, cold Chinese winter. And so out of desperation, finally she gave in, and she, she paid her neighbor to make her a traditional Chinese coat to wear. And so she got the coat and she put it on and she was amazed at how much warmth that coat provided her. And, and so she went back to her neighbor. And she, she paid her neighbor to, to make her a, a traditional Chinese dress. And again, she put on that traditional Chinese dress and she was just amazed at how much warmth that dress provided. And so by, because of this, because of the necessity to stay warm, she started wearing traditional Chinese clothing. But you know what she found? You know, that was the one blessing. She, she got the blessing of the warmth from the clothes, but then when she began to go out into the city, to begin to interact with other people out in the city, she began to notice their reaction to her. Throw up the picture. There we go. There's Lottie Moon in her traditional Chinese attire. As she began to go out in her traditional Chinese attire and her hair all slipped back like that, she began to notice that some of the people didn't even recognize her as an outsider. They just didn't recognize her. She just blended right in. The other people that did recognize her, that knew her before, and now they see her dressed in their cultural attire they begin to respond to her in a different way they begin to open up to her 
they begin to see her not as an, a foreigner, but now she's a, a woman who has bought into their culture, who has come to be a part of their culture. And their ears were open to what she had to say. And because she made those cultural accommodations, the gospel was able to spread through her ministry. Another story I thought about this morning, Scott and, and Jenny Phillips, two youngsters, I mean, they were barely in their 20s when, when God called them to the mission field and they sold off everything that they owned and they moved to uh, Indonesia and they went to the Dao people. Uh, this is a small tribe that had never been heard of until they went and found them. This was a tribe that their modernity had not touched them the least bit. Scott and, and Jenny were the first white people that this tribe had ever seen. And they were the first outsiders they had ever seen. They knew nothing of television and radio and all of these things. They were a primitive tribe. And Scott and Jenny, they went and they found them, and they said, we're going to take the gospel to them. And they moved in with them. And, and they began to, to live with them and, and adopt their culture. So much so that they began to notice that everybody in this Dio tribe had one of those bones in their nose. And, and so they lived with them long enough to figure out that this wasn't, it wasn't a religious thing or anything like that. It wasn't tied to their, they were, they were kind of pagans, and so it wasn't tied to their religion or anything. It was just a cultural thing. When you got to a certain age, it was kind of like a, a coming-of-age type thing. You got your, your first nose bone. And, and then as you grew older and grew older, well, you got a bigger bone. It just got bigger and bigger. And so the old wise men, they had some big bones in their nose. Well, they saw this, and, and they realized it's not, a, it's not a religious thing. It's a cultural thing. And, you know, this could be a sign to the people that we're here. We want to be a part of them. So guess what they did? They put a bone in their nose. And let me tell you, from, from what I read the book and, and, and from what they said, it hurts. I got hit in the nose. You know, you ever get hit in the nose? That hurts. I can just imagine what it would be to pierce that uh, septum up there and, and put a bone in it. But they did it, you see, for, to make a cultural accommodation. And when they did that, the people realized they're one of us. They want to be a part of our community. They want to, to be here and serve us. And, and they began to listen. They begin to adopt them as their own, and they begin to listen to what they had to say. You know, sometimes we have to make cultural accommodations so that we can share the gospel with those who may not be just like us. How does that look like in, in our world when we're here in Bastrop and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in our own little culture? But there are subcultures around us, aren't there? That sometimes that we need to change things a little bit here and there. I'll be honest, that's one reason I'm not wearing a suit today. I come to that point in my ministry where I, I figured out there's some people who, 
who are just not responding to that. That's, that's not their culture. We've we got a generation coming up that they don't know about suits. Suits and ties, what? I, I don't understand. They don't own a suit. Some people don't own dress pants. Shocking, right? But some people out in our culture, they don't own dress pants. And if they come into our church where everybody's dressed to the nines, do they feel comfortable? And I actually had some tell me, I just don't feel comfortable in a place where everybody's wearing suits, and I don't have a suit. And they won't come in the doors. So guess what? If me wearing a suit or not wearing a suit keeps them outside the doors, then I'm going to take the suit off and I'll wear whatever I need to wear so that they come in the doors and they hear about Jesus Christ. Sometimes we've got to make cultural accommodations. And that's how it changes in our world. We kind of shift because our culture is always changing around us. Culture is never static. It's always in motion. It's always flowing. And, and, and the, the culture of the great generation is not the culture of today. And as great as it was in the great generation, we've got to change. We've got to make some accommodations so that today's culture feels comfortable enough that we get to just speak into their life. We're not compromising the gospel. We're not compromising our morality. But hey, if, if wearing a different type of clothing gets a hearing, then let's wear a different type of clothing. If changing our music a little bit gets us a hearing, then let's change our music a little bit so that we can get a hearing. Just small cultural accommodations. That's all we, we, we're looking for. So, we make cultural accommodations. And again, our greatest example of this is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God the Son. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We couldn't make that. We couldn't become God. And so what did he do? He came and he took on the form of a man, the form of servant. And being formed in the likeness of, of man, he went to the cross. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ made a cultural accommodation. He stepped out of his culture in glory, and he stepped down into our corrupt culture, and he took on human flesh. You talk about a suit change. He took on human flesh. He became one of us. He walked around in the, the scum and the, the mess of this world so that he could bring the, the good news of salvation through him to us. So we make cultural accommodations because Jesus made a cultural accommodation to bring the good news to us. So key aspects to King, uh, this uh, strategy for kingdom expansion, selfless service, cultural uh, accommodation. Third is gospel rejoicing. Gospel rejoicing. Oh, this is great. Look at that last little verse there in that, that first paragraph that we looked at. Verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share, God, that I might share with them in its blessings. 
Now, what's Paul talking about there? I, I, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. What is he talking about? What does he mean that he might share in the blessings? He, he's bringing the gospel to the lost, and he wants to share in their blessings. Is he talking about salvation? No, because Paul's already saved. He's been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Now he's bringing the gospel to the lost, and he wants to share in that blessing. How does he share in that blessing? Back in 2018, uh, Drew Brees broke the, the record for career passing yards. Now, a lot of y'all were watching that night. I was watching that night. I don't watch a lot of football, but I was watching that night. Because I wanted to see that. And so uh, the game went on, you know, and you're just waiting. You're just counting down. They they got the little clock on the little measure thing there on the bottom of the screen. And they're counting down the yards. Uh, five, you know, 50 more yards to go, 20 more yards to go, right? On down, clicking down, clicking down, clicking down. And, and then there comes the play. And you're like, is this it? Is this it? And Drew Brees, he drops back. He nails that thing and throws that thing down the field it goes all down there and there's that receiver Whew, he catches it and all we, you see on the screen it starts flashing now he's broke the record and and everybody's all in the stadium woo, 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 woo. drew Brees is celebrating woo, 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 woo. i was in my living room woo, woo, woo. Right? Now, i didn't break that record you didn't break that record Drew Brees broke that record. But we got to join his blessing, didn't we? We got to join in the celebration. We celebrated with him. And that's the way, that's what Paul's talking about. I want to join in their blessing. I want to be a part of their blessing. Man, have you ever won someone to Christ? And see the joy that it brings when faith comes? And they realize what's happening to them. And, and the Holy Spirit moves in. And, and you're there. You're a part of that. And they're rejoicing. Praise God, I'm saved. And you're there. Praise God, you're saved. It's celebrating. It's joining in the blessing. And man, we got to celebrate the gospel. we got to celebrate conversions. Man, we should have like... You know, the football players, they have the little chain line going to go through their clapping hands. Maybe when somebody gets saved, they can run through the chain. Woo! And we all celebrate. Man, we got to celebrate the gospel more. We got to celebrate conversions more. We got to get excited about people being saved. Because when we do that, that's when we join in the blessing. Oh, man, what if the church got more excited about a conversion than they did about a football game? What if the church got more excited about conversions than they did basketball or, or records or whatever else? If we would celebrate, woo! When somebody comes to faith in Jesus. When another one enters into the kingdom. Oh, that's much better than Breeze's uh, record-breaking that's much better. He would agree with that statement too. That's much better than anything else in this world. When another lost soul enters into the kingdom, that's worth celebrating. Oh, let's celebrate the gospel. 
Let's celebrate conversions. Let's celebrate people coming to know Christ. That's gospel rejoicing. So if we want to see the kingdom expand, we've got to give ourselves to selfless service. We've got to give ourselves to cultural accommodations. We've got to get involved in some good old-fashioned gospel rejoicing. And number four, we've got to be self-disciplined. Uh-oh. We've got to be self-disciplined. Look at that last paragraph, verse 24. Do, not, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. As Paul is talking about this, as he's closing out, he uses this wonderful illustration. Now, in Corinth, Corinth was, uh, uh, well, in, in the Grecian culture, in Greece, of course, the Olympic Games were A, number one on everybody's list, but second to the, the Grecian, the Olympic Games were the Isthmus Games that were held about 10 miles from Corinth. And, and so Paul, knowing this, this is a very athletic culture, just like our culture today it was a very athletic culture and so now he's using this cultural illustration to to make his point here but he he talks about the athlete now athlete if an athlete wants to win he, he doesn't just show up on the day of competition and join in the race no 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 he spends time training he he disciplines his body you look at a professional athlete, and they're very disciplined about everything that goes into their body and everything they do with their body. Uh, it's all about the, the competition. It's all about the game, and they discipline themselves. They use self-discipline. You know, if we're going to be a, a kingdom interested in, in kingdom, or a church interested in kingdom expansion, then we've got to be self-disciplined. We've got to be self-disciplined. It takes self-discipline to make cultural accommodations. It takes self-discipline to be selfless in our service. It takes self-discipline to do the things that we need to do to share the gospel with the lost. It takes self-discipline to get up every morning and say, Today, Lord, Lord, would you just lead me to a person who needs to know a little bit about Jesus? Can you just lead me to someone who needs to know about Jesus? It takes self-discipline to look out to those whom we engage with. It takes discipline to, to begin to engage them with conversation about Jesus Christ. That doesn't just come up haphazardly, right? You've got to be intentional about that. You've got to be intentional about turning everyday conversations to Jesus. To speak Jesus into the life of someone that you know. And so it takes self-discipline. Dear Christian, every day you, you need to get up and think, Lord, who are you going to lead me to today? Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Let me see the lost around me. Give me awareness. Help me to 
take these ordinary conversations and turn them somehow to Jesus so that I might share Jesus with someone today. We've got to be self-disciplined. We've got to be self-disciplined. Not only that, but number five here. Fifth and final, we've got to have an eternal focus. We've got to have eternal focus. That's another little part, another little aspect that Paul is getting at here in this last, this last paragraph. Do you not know that the race, in the race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Now, Paul here talking about the perishable wreath. You've seen the pictures, you've seen the, the statues when you're talking about ancient cultures, the statues with the little uh, the, the vines wrapped around and, and they put them on the, the head of, of, of the, the winner of the race, right? That was their prize. Paul says that was perishable. Yeah, it was, it was vines with green leaves. And, and that, that little perishable wreath would last about maybe a week if, if you were lucky it would last about a week and then the leaves would just fall off and, and then you just had some vines wrapped around your head that's it it was a perishable wreath but man people gave their all they sacrificed half of their life right to 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 be self-disciplined to do the training to eat the food that they needed to eat and all of those things they did all of that they worked so hard for a little old reef that next week will be a bunch of vines to throw in the fire, how much more ought we to exercise self-discipline for an eternal reward? You see, there's reward in heaven for those who, who give their life for the gospel who invest their life in kingdom matters. That's why Jesus says, He says to us, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We need to have an eternal focus. We, we get so short-sighted here in this life. We get so short-sighted. We, we think about next week. A lot of us are thinking about tomorrow. What, what's tomorrow going to bring? What am I going to do tomorrow? And we're so focused on tomorrow, we can't see next week. Are we focused about, you know, retirement? Let's, let's plan on retirement. Now, it's good to plan for retirement. I'm not saying it's bad to plan for retirement. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. As Christians, we know that there's something beyond retirement. We're living for something beyond retirement. We're living for eternity. So why are we going to spend all of our lives focused on this life, this little block, right? This, this little dot on our existence. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. You, you take a little pen, you, you take it to your paper, and you little, put a little dot on there. That's your life here. There's all of eternity left. Why invest just on the dot? Invest in eternity. Work for the victor's crown. 
Master your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to control your life. Give yourself to to Christ. Invest in the kingdom. Share the gospel with the lost. Look for people that, that need the gospel. Tell them the gospel. Rejoice when they come to know Christ. All the while knowing that you're laying up for yourselves rewards in heaven. Rewards in heaven. Have an eternal focus. Have an eternal focus. Work for the victor's crown. So we have the strategy for kingdom expansion. Selfless service, cultural accommodations, gospel rejoicing, self-discipline, and eternal focus. Now what do we do? What do we do? All this sounds good and great. Are we just going to fill in our little note sheet and leave them on the pew and not think anything else about it? Let that not be you. Take this strategy and apply it to your life. Apply it to your life. Begin to live out this. Follow Paul's example. Follow Christ's example. Be a selfless servant to others so that, they, so that you might get a, a word into them about the gospel. Make cultural accommodations where you can to, to fit into that group so that maybe you can tell them about Jesus. Make it a priority in your life to rejoice in the gospel. Make that the heart of your celebration. Use self-discipline and an eternal focus to wake up day after day after day looking to invest in the kingdom. Looking to share Christ with the lost. Apply the strategy Catch this vision of kingdom expansion that that Paul had and apply his strategy to your life. Live to see people saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live out our mission to love God, love one another, and love our world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, if we're all honest, we're, we know that we don't live out this strategy. Lord, we, we, have our, we fall short, fall short, way short. But Lord, I pray, as your Spirit lives within us, Lord, that today you would impress this upon our hearts, each and every person here. Every person here, Lord, impress this upon our hearts. Give us a vision, Lord. Set in us a vision for kingdom expansion so that we corporately as a church and individually as individual followers of Jesus Christ might do what you have called us to do, to make disciples to see your kingdom grow. Oh Lord, we want to celebrate 
We want to celebrate kingdom expansion. Oh, Lord, let us see it. Let us see it. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.